I invite you to turn in your Bibles with me to Haggai chapter 2. Haggai chapter 2. We started looking at Haggai last week, and we will have a couple of more lessons in Haggai, a very short chapter, or a very short prophet, rather, book, but I think a very powerful book that Haggai gives us. And if you remember last week, we talked about in chapter 1, verses 1 through 4, talked about misplaced priorities. Specifically, the Jewish people had gotten... They started building God's temple, but then they stopped and they started building their own houses and taking care of their own stuff and started building their their lives. And so God said, you guys need to get your priorities straight and you're living in your panel houses. You're living in your nice houses would be our world today, like the houses in Brentwood and Franklin. Y'all living in your nice houses. She said, but, but y'all let my house just lay there and fall in rubble. They said, you need to get your priorities straight. And then... Verses 5 to 11 of chapter 1 talk about the results of misplaced priorities. And we talked about how apathy that sets in. We talked about how God can't bless us if our priorities are not putting him first. And then we talked about the remedy for misplaced priorities in verses 12 to 18. And that is to come back and put God first. Jesus said in his Sermon on the Mount, Seek ye first the kingdom of heaven and his righteousness, and all these things will be added unto you. He also said, lay up treasures for yourself in heaven, where moths and rust and thieves don't eliminate those things. And so, where are our priorities? So, the people got back to work. They started building. The, the Spirit of the Lord fell on them. They got encouraged. They, they started working. But they haven't been working but about a month. And then discouragement set in. And so, let's look at Haggai chapter 2, and we're going to read this morning, and we're going to try to cover verses 1 through 9. Haggai 2, 1 through 9. In the seventh month, on the 21st day of the month, the word of the Lord came by Haggai the prophet, saying, Speak now to Zerubbabel, the son of Sheltiel, governor of Judah, and to Joshua, the son of Jehozadak, the high priest, and to the remnant of the people, saying, Who is left among you who saw this temple? in its former glory. And how do you see it now? In comparison with it, is this not in your eyes as nothing? Yet now be strong, Zerubbabel, says the Lord, and be strong, Joshua, son of Jehozadak, the high priest, and be strong, all you people of the land, says the Lord, and work, for I am with you, says the Lord of hosts. According to the word that I covenanted with you when you came out of Egypt, so my spirit remains among you, do not fear. For thus says the Lord of hosts, Once more, it is a little while, I will shake heaven and earth, the sea and the dry land. And I will shake all nations, and they shall come to the desire of all nations. And I will fill this temple with glory, says the Lord of hosts. The silver is mine, and the gold is mine, says the Lord of hosts. The glory of this latter temple shall be greater than the former says the Lord of hosts. And in this place I will give peace, says the Lord of hosts. So basically, what we're going to do this morning, we're going to look at what caused the people to get discouraged. And then we're going to look at what God told Haggai 
in these verses and then in the verses that follow in chapter 2, how to overcome their discouragement. And then finally, the third thing we'll do this morning, Lord willing, is to make application to us. We'll bring, we'll bring what we learned from Haggai's day and see if we can't see how it applies to 2021. It amazes me when I read the prophets how similar their world was to what our world is today. Uh, Marie and I were in Isaiah in part of our daily reading, and just several times we've come we said, man, that sounds like today, uh, which just goes to show Isaiah was written in about 750 B.C., so 750 years before Christ, and we're living now, or before the birth of Christ, we're living now in 2021 after he's passed, and so 2,700 years later, people haven't changed a whole lot. Human nature tends to say the same. So uh, it's good to understand the context. That's the first thing we have to look at. But then we need to bring context into our life and see what does God want for us to learn when we come through this. So first of all, why in the world did the people get discouraged? A month ago, uh, they were working. They resumed work on the temple September 21st. 520 B.C. Uh, the, the translations read on this month and this day of King Darius, the Persians kept excellent records. So we know pretty well when each Hosea or Haggai had four messages and God, he dates all four of them and they're all within about three months time. But we know pretty much when those messages were, were given. So they've been working about a month and Discouragement sets in. On October 17, 520, God delivered another message through Haggai the prophet, and God basically reveals the source of the Jews' discouragement. He asks these questions. He says, Does anyone remember this house, this temple, and its former glory? Then he asks, How in comparison does this temple look to that one? And then he says, doesn't it seem pitiful comparing this one with the way Solomon's temple looked? You see, here's the trouble. They were building, they were excited, they were working, and as they started building this temple, these people were a very poor people. Their economy was bad. They're still under Persian rule. A lot of what they had, they had to send back to Persia in, in way of tribute and in way of taxes. They didn't have much money, and they got to building this temple, and they kind of, I guess, laid the foundation, started building the walls a little bit, and suddenly some of them started thinking about the temple back in Solomon's day. Some of them remembered, maybe even Haggai, what that temple looked like. It's only been 70 years. So some of them had a memory of Solomon's temple. Solomon's temple was a grand temple, full of gold. Remember in our Bible reading the, the specifics that uh, Solomon went to? David made a lot of the preparations. They... Uh, got special wood, they got gold, silver, all these, and now they're looking at their temple and they say, man, this is pitiful. This, 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 this temple is it's just nothing like that first temple. I don't know how in the world God could be pleased with this. After all, it's, we're poor. After all, this building is going to be poor. This building is not going to be the building that Solomon had, so there's no way that God could be happy. I think the date that God comes to Haggai is significant because this date was during 
the Jewish Feast of the Tabernacles. And if you remember your Old Testament history, when Solomon, or when Solomon uh, had the celebration to uh, open the temple in his day, it happened during the Feast of Tabernacles. It happened at the same time. Uh, God didn't want the people of Haggai's day to get so caught up in the splendor of the building that they missed the purpose of the building. Y'all think churches do that today? I've been to churches and, and I've heard the pastor say, now, now take a look at our campus and, and the church we were at, it was two blocks long on both sides of the road. A beautiful campus, but they were very proud of their campus. And the question that kept running through my mind, and I don't know the answer to this, I spent an hour at a, at a conference at this, at this campus. But my question was, as grand as this campus, uh, campus is, is God there? And you know what I wonder when I ride through, I like to ride through back roads, Marie and I like to ride through back roads, and you see an old abandoned church building that, that's fallen over, and quite often I think, you know, that building may be falling over today, but at one time, God was there. And at one time, God's people met God there. God needed them to understand that it's not the building that's important. It's not the splendor of the building. It's not whether this temple or the new temple is going to be beautiful. The fact was, it's the house of God. And that's what he wanted the people to remember. The rest of this chapter, the rest of Haggai's book, God gives three reasons the people could be encouraged rather than discouraged. Instead of looking at the lack of splendor that this new temple would have, instead of focusing on that and the reason of their discouragement, God says, first of all, you guys need to look up. That's what verses 1 through 9 teach us. You, when you get discouraged, you need to look up. Y'all, I got some news for you this morning. We can't live in the good old days. Y'all ever want to do that? We say, boy, I wish I could go back to this time and that time and when things were simpler and, and these young folks, they respected their parents. And, uh, you know, I look at cowboy days and uh, you think, man, that would be cool to live back then with, with uh, you know, no, no pressures and no everybody not just falling all over. Y'all know what, though? When you look at the cowboy days, when you go in town, when you bought meat, it's set out on a slab in front of the store with flies all over, right? Uh, their water, y'all remember Back to the Future 3 when Marty McFly goes back to the West and he asks for a glass of water and uh, he, they give him some out of the well, he picks it up, it's silver. I mean, it's rust colored because there's rust in the well, you know, the Everything wasn't so great about the good old days. A lot of babies died young in the good old days with scarlet fever and cholera and smallpox. Uh, the good old days, we tend to remember the good in the good old days, don't we? We don't remember the hard part of the good old days. So our lesson today is you can't live in the good old days. And, and part of the way we can overcome that is to look up. God gives six reasons here in these verses why the, the uh, Jews should look to him rather than at this little pitiful building. And so let's look at those six reasons. First of all, 
We need to understand they don't need to be discouraged. They need to look up verse 4 because of God's presence. He says, Yet now be strong, Zerubbabel, says the Lord. And be strong, Joshua, son of Jehozadak, the high priest. And be strong, all you people of the land, says the Lord, and work, for I am with you. God tells them, if you guys will do my work, and if you guys will stay focused to me, he says, I will be there with you. Isn't that what he told the Jews all along? When he originally made the covenant with them, he says, I will be your God and you will be my people. If, if you will follow my ways, if you'll do the things I want you to do, he says, I will bless you. And I will give you this land forever. But, he said, if you disobey me and you stop following my ways, I will remove you from this land. And that's what he did, right? He took the kingdom of Israel into Assyrian captivity. They never came back. These Jews here, they're coming back out of Babylonian captivity. The Persians conquered the Babylonians, and the Persians allowed them to go home. They have a chance to start over again. They have a chance to build something all over, and God is reminding them. He says, don't look at this little building. Don't compare this to Solomon's temple. Don't worry whether this temple is going to be as nice as that temple. He says, you just go to work building my temple. Because I'm with you. And when I'm with you, you're going to be in good shape. Focus on the fact that I'm with you and you're doing my work. Second, verse 5. He says, according to the word that I, that I covenanted with you when you came out of Egypt. They should look up because of God's presence. They should also look up because of God's covenant. The promise of God's presence with his people guaranteed. His unchanging word. When the tabernacle was dedicated by Moses, the glory of God filled that tabernacle in the form of fire. God moved in. And in Exodus 40, God promised that he would keep his covenant with the Israelite people. I'll be your God. You be my people. A covenant is a promise. A covenant is a, an agreement between two people. When Marie and I got married, we made a covenant with each other and God that we would serve each other and be faithful to each other and, and put each other first in our lives. A lot of times when you become part of a sports group or a sports team, they'll have you sign a little covenant page that says, I agree to uh, do this or that, and I agree to act right, and I agree to participate, and I agree. It's a covenant. I don't know, it not, might not be such a bad idea to, when we have folks place membership, to think of some kind of covenant ceremony. Because when we place membership with the church, are we not coveting ourselves to each other? That we're going to help each other find our spiritual gifts, and we're going to take care of each other and watch over each other? Well, God says, you need to look up, first of all, because I'm here. I'm with you. And second, he said, you need to remember this covenant. You guys, I covenanted with your ancestors in Egypt. And he says, I'm still ready to honor that covenant. I covenanted with, that, that's hard to say. Covenant, I made an agreement with you way back in Egypt. And that covenant is still applicable today. I'm still ready to honor that covenant. Are you guys going to step up? Are you guys going to keep on working? 
One of the ways you can show that is finish this temple. Get it finished. Get it done. Not only that, look at the end of verse 5. Not only did God want them to remember his covenant, he says, my spirit remains among you. Do not fear. Not only is God with them, he said, my spirit is with you. You know what he's talking about here? He's talking about the Holy Spirit. A lot of times we think the Holy Spirit's a New Testament phenomenon. We think the Holy Spirit wasn't in the Old Testament. That's not true. The Holy Spirit's all over the Old Testament. Genesis 1, God said in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth, and the earth was without form and void, and darkness was on the face of the deep. And then it says the Spirit of God moved on the waters. That Spirit there is talking about the Holy Spirit. So you're not, we're not even like three sentences into the Bible and the Holy Spirit's made an introduction. The Holy Spirit is there. The Holy Spirit comes on Moses when God brought them, the Israelites out of Egypt. The Holy Spirit came upon the elders that were going to help Moses. Remember God told Moses that he was going to take the Spirit that was in him, that was the Holy Spirit, and place it on these elders. The Holy Spirit fell on Saul a few times. The Holy Spirit fell on David. The Holy Spirit fell on uh, Samson. The Holy Spirit's all over the Old Testament. And so God tells his people, not only you need to look, up, look to me. Don't look at this old little building. Look at me. I'm with you. I made a covenant with you that I want to honor and I want you to honor. My spirit is with you. You've got my Holy Spirit Helping you. Y'all, the Holy Spirit always has been and always will be active in completing the will of God. We'll talk more about that in just a minute. So why do they need to look up? Because of God's presence, because of God's covenant, because of God's spirit. Look at verses 6 and 7. For thus says the Lord of hosts, once more, it is a little while, I will shake heaven and earth and sea and dry land. I will shake the nations, and they shall come to the desire of all nations. And I will fill this temple with glory, says the Lord of hosts. Now look at verse 9. The glory of this latter temple shall be greater than the former, says the Lord God of hosts. Haggai looks ahead here, to me, to a time when Jesus is going to fill this temple. These two verses, verses 6 and 7, are the only difficult passages of Haggai. It's difficult because of the way it's written in Hebrew. When you look at that phrase in verse 7, uh, I, I, and they shall come to, to the desire of all nations. Some of your translations may say the treasure of all nations or the wealth of all nations. In Hebrew, that word desire or treasure is singular. And in that the phrase... Uh, shall come, the verb, the subject of that sentence is the desire of all nations. The, the verb, uh, the, I forget which predicate, that's the word that, that's called, you got your subject and your predicate. The subject is the desire of all nations, that's singular in Hebrew. In Hebrew, shall come is written plural. So some folks say that can't be Jesus. And so I went to McKay's other, I looked at all my commentaries I had at home at this, and they were split as to what this meant. And then I went to McKay's. Y'all ever been to McKay's? They have a whole 
wall of commentary. I didn't buy the Haggai commentaries, but I read them. I thought, I'm going to find out what these guys say. And uh, there was a lady next to me. She said, what are you looking at? I said, I'm trying to find out something I'm going to preach on Sunday. I'm struggling with a, a phrase in this verse. And she said, have you found any answers? I said, no, what I found is they don't know either. Uh, and so sometimes you get into that with commentary. I think how God's making a messianic prophecy. And that's the best way that I can answer this. God is promising them that while this temple may not look glorious compared to Solomon's temple, he says one day Jesus Christ is going to come into this temple. And sure enough, now understand, Herod renovated this temple. The temple in Jesus' day is this same temple. It's just renovations and additions that's made by Herod. Herod made it grand. It, was, it took like 46 years to build the temple. Uh, did all, do all these uh, renovations on it. God promised in verse 9 that this temple is going to end up being greater than Solomon's temple. But let me tell you what, it, that was not because of Herod's renovations. The reason that temple would be more glorious than the first temple is because Jesus Christ was in that temple. Jesus Christ taught in that temple. The desire of all nations, because isn't that bottom line isn't the desire of all nations Jesus? There's going to come a time when this temple is not only going to be the desire of the Jews. Jesus Christ is going to make, he's going to bring Gentiles. He's going to bring people from all over the world. God says, don't worry about where this temple is now. You be concerned about what I can do with this temple. Right? God's promises. He says the nations are going to be shaken, and they were. Babylonia has already been defeated. Persia has taken over. It's not going to be long before Alexander the Great and the Greeks conquered the Persians. And it wasn't long after that when the Romans conquered the Greeks. God shakes the world. God shakes nations. And during the days of these Roman kings, Jesus Christ came. God's promises. God says, this temple may not be much right now, but he says, you wait and see what I can make out of it. You let me do my work. Doesn't God do his greatest work with pitiful things? Doesn't God do his greatest work with weak things? You say, what can I do for God? It's not what can you do, it's what can God do through you. God's promises. Look at verse 8. God says, you need to look up to me because the silver is mine. And the gold is mine, says the Lord of hosts. We need to look up because of God's provision. They need to look up because of God's provision. God says, you don't have to worry about gold. So he says, I'll give you what you need. I'll give you what you need to finish this temple. Don't worry about how much you don't have. You look to me with what I have. It all belongs to me. The silver and gold they had forgotten it all belongs to God anyway. They said, we don't have this stuff. God says, I do. Did y'all want to see my bank book? Trust God's provision. And finally, verse 9. The end of verse 9, God says, in this place I will give peace, says the Lord of hosts. And although verse 9 is a future prophecy, did you know that one day, 
He's telling these Jewish people here one day, peace is going to be found in this temple. Guess what? It was in the person and work of Jesus Christ, right? Jesus Christ is the one that brings peace. In the Old Testament and us today, shouldn't we find encouragement in the peace that God brings us by doing his will? We'll talk a little more about that here in just a second. So these people had been through a lot. They'd been in Babylonian captivity. They'd come home. They've been made fun of by the people that are living in that area there. They have started to rebuild their temple. They're still going to go through a lot. But God says, if you guys will look at my presence, know that I'm here. Remember our covenant. Know that my spirit is on you. Remember my promises. Remember my provision. He says, you all can find peace. Now get to work and finish the temple. Well, what in the world does that have to do with us? Because you know what? We too sometimes find discouragement in kingdom work. Kingdom work is not easy. And sometimes as a church, we do want to live in the good old days. I've heard several people here tell me, boy, we used to have this auditorium full, and we used to have kids in all the classrooms, and, and we used to have this, and we used to have that. And if we're not careful, we'll let ourselves live in the past and not realize that we're not there anymore. We're in the future. That old New Hope Baptist Church is not there anymore. We are old New Hope Baptist Church today, right? So we can't live in the good old days. And if you all remember hard enough, everything about the good old days wasn't as good as you remember. There were some good things about the good old days. But everything wasn't good. Well, how in the world do we find encouragement in our dis discouragement? A lot of times we look around, we'll leave our building here today, and if you drive by a meeting place, the parking lot's full. Or you go by First Baptist and the parking lot's full. And we think, well, man, but you know what? You look, when everybody's here on Sunday, this parking lot looks pretty full, doesn't it? If you look at it just right, a lot fuller than it used to look. But how do we find encouragement in our times of discouragement? Can I suggest to you the same way that these Jews did? First of all, remember God's presence. Y'all ready to play Bible drills right quick? Remember the Bible drill game we used to have? We're going to look in the Bible. Take your Bible, look at Matthew chapter 28. Matthew chapter 28. We're going to start reading in verse 18. Matthew 28, 18. And Jesus came and spoke to them, saying, All authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all things that I have commanded you. And watch this. Lo, I am with you always even to the end of the age, or the world, depending on what translation. Age is probably a better translation there. Guess what, y'all? We're still living in that same age, right? We're living in the age of grace and the age of the Holy Spirit. You know what God says? God says, if you'll do, what I, you'll do my work, I will be with you. Isn't that what he told the Jews? 
They were looking around that pitiful temple. So God says, y'all need to look up. Look up here. I am with you. If you're doing my work, I am with you. He tells us today, I am with you. Our numbers are down today. You know what? God's here with us. God's presence fills this place. God tells us here, if we will be busy about his work, he will be with us. This is how I could go into the high security area of our prison and work with these men that are criminals because I know I'm doing God's business. And I believe God's with me. He's with you too. Brother Gray and I went out, I told you about us going door knocking. There's a bad dog. And he says, I never had a dog chase me in my life. He says, I ain't afraid of a dog. And that dog about ate us up. Brother Gray had to take his Bible and hit it. And uh, we finally got back to the car. He said, well, I told you that dog wouldn't hurt us. He said, I had to use my Bible to, in a way I've never, but it, Bible, it's supposed to be a sword. But all kidding aside, y'all, when we're doing God's work, you say, I'm afraid to witness, I'm afraid to talk to people about Jesus. That's what we've been wired to do. It says he's with us. Y'all remember going door knocking here a few days ago, a couple of weeks ago? You know what y'all told me when you came back? You said it felt so good to do that. You know why? Because that's why we're wired. God says, if you'll do my work, I'll be with you. Look at 1 Corinthians chapter 11. 1 Corinthians chapter 11. And we're going to start reading at verse 23. 1 Corinthians eleven twenty-three. For I received from the Lord that which I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus on that same night in which he was betrayed took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, Take ye, this is my body which is broken for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Now watch verse 25. In the same manner, he also took the cup after the supper, saying, This cup is the new what? Covenant in my blood. This do as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. Just as God made a covenant with the Israelites in the wilderness. He said, You be my God, or I'll be your God, you be my people. God has made a covenant with us through the blood of Jesus Christ. He says, I will be your God through the blood of Jesus. But we're going to remember that covenant here in just a little while. We do that every time we take the Lord's Supper. You know where we can find encouragement in, in spite of our discouragement? It's by remembering that we have a covenant with God. And we belong to Him. God, if we belong to God, can anything hurt us? If we belong to God, can anybody, anything shut us down? God's made a covenant with us. And every time we take that Lord's Supper... We've made a covenant with him. We should be encouraged. Look at Acts chapter 2, verse 39. Acts chapter 2, verse 39. This is at the end of the first gospel sermon that Peter gives. And we'll actually go back to verse 38 for context. Then Peter said to them, Repent and let every one of you be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ, for the remission of sins, and you will receive the gift of what? The Holy Spirit or the Holy Ghost. For the promise, what promise? That you'll receive the Holy Ghost. 
is to you, to your children, and to all who are afar off, as many as the Lord our God will call. Just like the Jews in Haggai's day, God says, don't be discouraged because I'm going to give you my presence. You've got my covenant. He says, you've got my spirit. Y'all, God's living inside of me. He's living inside of you. And if God is living there, if God is working there, what reason do we have to get discouraged, right? We're doing his work. We're busy doing kingdom work. Look at Romans chapter 8. Romans chapter 8. This is one of my favorite verses in Scripture. Romans chapter 8, beginning at verse 37. Romans 8, 37. Yet in all these things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. Now listen to this. For I am persuaded that neither death nor life, nor angels, nor principalities, nor powers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor height, nor depth, nor any other created thing, shall be able to separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus. Talk about a promise. We don't need to be discouraged because of God's promises. God promised the Jews that this new temple would be more glorious than the old temple. God promises us that there is nothing on this world and nothing in this world that can take us away from the love of God. I tell you what, y'all, the fact to know that there's nothing I can do that will make God stop loving me, that's an encouragement to me. Because I mess up sometimes. Don't y'all? Are you with me? We mess up, we say, well, Lord, why in the world do you keep having faith in me? And God said, no, listen to me. God says, it's because I love you. There's nothing you can do to make me stop loving you. There's nothing you can do that makes you not my child. That ought to give us encouragement no matter what. Because you know what? They can take away this building. They can tell us we couldn't worship. They can take everything in the world away from us, blessings-wise. Y'all listening? The fact that God loves us, isn't that enough? Isn't that enough to keep us going? And that's not the only promise of God. The Bible's full of God's promises. Do a Google search on God's promises. And if y'all don't have Google, if you don't do the internet, you can do the old-fashioned Google. Look at Strong's Concordance. And look up the word promises. God's promises are abundant. And God keeps his promises. Amen? Let's be encouraged. A couple more. Both of these are in the book of Philippians, chapter 4. Philippians, chapter 4. Look at verse 19. We'll do verse 18 for context. Indeed, I have... Paul says, I have all and abound. I am full, having received from Epaphroditus the things sent from you, a sweet-smelling aroma, an acceptable sacrifice, what pleases to God. Remember, Epaphroditus had brought Paul 
a collection from the Philippians. So Paul says, I'm in good shape. Then look what he says in verse 19. And my God shall supply all your need according to what? His riches and glory by Christ Jesus. Just like God told the Jews, all the gold is mine, all the silver is mine, all the stuff is mine, God reminds us as Christians that it all belongs to him. Donald Trump may be megabucks, but his bank account doesn't compare to what Jesus Christ's storehouses look like. That ought to encourage us. You know what else it tells me? It tells me in Old New Hope, as long as we are busy doing God's will, that if we're doing God's will, God will provide. We might not have all the programs First Baptist has. We might not have all the programs that Saddleback has. We might not have all this program and that. But you know what? If we will do here under God's power the ministries he's laid on our hearts to do, God says, I'll give you the provisions to take care of that. God told the folks in Haggai today, don't you worry about the gold and the silver. He says, it's all mine. He says, you wait till you see this temple when I get finished with it. And I can't wait to see old new hope when God gets finished with it. And you know what my greatest hope is? And the, what's something I'm looking forward to? We're going to have communion here in just a minute. I am looking forward to one of these days in heaven having communion with each and every one of you around the Lord's table. And if I get to see that, that's enough. God's provision. It's his. And then look at chapters, or verses 6 and 7 of chapter 4. Philippians 4, 6 and 7. Be anxious for nothing, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, that your requests be made known to God, and the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. Y'all, when we're busy about the Lord's business, it doesn't matter if there's two of us or 220 of us or 2,000 of us. We ought to have peace in our hearts. We ought to have calmness. I was listening to a preacher. I was going to Wayne County uh, last Wednesday, and I was listening to a preacher talking about calm uh, and how God uses the word calm in the New Testament. And man, I was I heard about 10 minutes of it. I was getting into it, and I turned it up, and I'm like, oh, I'm ready to go. I had my cruise control set so I wouldn't get a speeding ticket because I know what happens sometimes if I start listening to something and get my mind up. I'm ready to go, and then I got out of radio range. I wasn't able to hear the end of it. But y'all, if you're looking for peace this morning, God says if you'll just not worry about everything and turn it over to Him in prayer, that He'll give you peace that's beyond understanding. There's a saying that says if you're keeping your head when everybody around you is losing theirs, you don't know what's going on. I don't believe that. I believe that if you're keeping your head when everything around you is going crazy, you've got the peace of God. And it's beyond understanding. And when somebody says, how can you stay so peaceful and so calm? And you say, well, because God gave it to me. God lets me gives me this peace. They're going to look at you. They're going to give you that look. 
You know, when people kind of turn their head and like, what? It's beyond understanding. But God says it's yours. So y'all, this morning, when you get discouraged, you may have, we may have less folks here today. It might be a little discouraging. When that happens, don't look around, look up. Look at God's presence. Remember God's covenant. Remember God's spirit is with us. Remember God's promises. Remember his provision. And revel in his peace. Amen. Let's pray. Our Father in heaven, thank you for loving us. And just thank you for this message from Haggai. And I just pray that when we read in the Old Testament, we just don't think that, well, this is just a bunch of people that lived 2,000 years ago. Help us to understand these were godly people trying to live a godly relationship with you. And the lessons that you teach them, we need as well. Help us when we get discouraged, Father. I pray that we wouldn't compare ourselves to other churches or other ministries or, or other works that are going on, Father. I, I pray we wouldn't look at them, but we would look to you. And help us remember that doing your work is the most important thing that we can do. And that's going to look different everywhere. And help us not to be so worried about looking like everybody else. But I pray that as we do your work, we would look like you. In Jesus' name.